Hi, and welcome to Warped Zone. It's a podcast on sci-fi, philosophy, religion, politics, gaming, and anything else taboo. Ooh, taboo. We put the U in taboo. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this episode is going to actually touch on a number of things which are very taboo. So um, we are going to raise the issue of assault. Um, yep. So if you uh, may find that offensive... Um, perhaps uh, give the discussion about the uh, short story, which is Boy and His Dog, uh, a miss, which will be in the latter part of the episode. Yeah, no, definitely um, a bit of a trigger warning. So, yeah, if you do feel find the themes of um, rape, sexual assault, um, and all these sort of things makes you feel very comfortable and we totally understand, we uh, suggest you tune out for this part because it is going to get very taboo. Very taboo. Also, if you don't like dogs. Yeah, that's true. I'm not a dog person. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, so the story we're looking at today is um, Harlan Ellison's Boy and His Dog, which was a short story written in 1969. But we're going to start before we dive straight in. Yes. How's your week been, Ben? Okay. Um, I've seen you on Saturday. Yeah, I know. We talk yeah. all the time. So that's we do talk all the time. Uh, so Saturday was the Sydney Classic Gaming Club. Yes. Uh, which is a group of some people. Um, a very uh, highbrow group. Not everybody can join. No, no, it's a closed off group. Yes. Um, which is quite funny. Um, and we went to Mark Bell's house, who is a friend of both of ours. Yep. Uh, and the idea is that the host will choose a number of games and we all play them together mm-hmm. and you compete to see who's the best person and then you get awarded a trophy which started off with being a trophy at my place which was a small cup and a banana shoved in the cup nice um and then mark has added to that by shoving that um little you know espresso cup into a um it's an atari 2600 control stick Oh, so, nice. yeah, he ripped off the top of it and actually shelved the, the, the cup. <laughs> so it's the same it. cup that just keeps getting re-envisioned yeah. into different awards. Yeah, yeah, and then he's put a little um, monkey from Monkey Ball attached it oh, to cute. the banana. So now he's added something to the top. Does it mean in maybe like a year the trophy's going to be so big that like he won't be able to get that? Yeah, it gets retired at the end of the year <laughs> by the person who's won the most amount of, of the gaming club events. The scoring's a little bit weird. So if you come first, you get 10 points, and then if you come second, you come 9 points. So really yeah. it gives an advantage to someone who's gone average at all the games yeah and why don't you tell everyone what games we played well maybe we go backwards from the games that i think that you disliked the most i'm gonna make a guess i didn't play them all yeah so i'm gonna make a guess okay all right go (laughs) so it's super tarakin on the mega drive you didn't like that i don't know can you explain to me the game that was the one that's the run and gun game so you run right and shoot it's on the Mega Drive, so it's the black. Was it one in the main table or in the yeah. other room? No, I like that one. Oh, you like that one? Where you shoot and you have the little grapple and yeah. you swing around. No, okay. I like that game. Oh, you like that one. Yeah, okay. you didn't see me play it. I wasn't oh. great at it, but I got the hang of it. I liked it a lot better than um, the Seamus game that was on the screen beforehand. Hmm. What was that one called? You know, the little Seamus character that shoots things? Seamus. Seamus. Metroid. Yeah, Metroid. Yeah. I preferred yeah. The first one over Metro. Oh, really? Yeah. You like Tarakin over Metro? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, Outrun? What one was that one? It's the car racing game. <laughs> I hated that one. Okay. <laughs> R-Type? Didn't play it. Didn't you, get a chance. Didn't, yeah. Because you and uh, Mark were hogging it. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well and Nelly 
which is a pinball. I did not like I Molinelli. Did not like, yeah. It um, was really hard. The flippers were only like like an inch yeah, long. Yeah, little tiny flippers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I liked... Oh, and then there's Cannabolt, which is the Commodore 64. Loved that game. Yeah, we'll talk about that one last, <laughs> I think. Um, but we also played um, Nidhogg. Which one was that one? That was also on the PlayStation Oh, that 4. was really fun as well. They're yeah. my two favorites. So that Nidhogg. Okay, uh, how about we go in order? So Super Tarakin, um, a Mega Drive-based game, run and shoot. Um, it is very rare on the Mega Drive, and that's why uh, Mark chose all of these games, because they are quite rare. Mm-hmm. Um, Outrun. So Mark has a stand-up um, Outrun machine, which has got an actual um, driving um, wheel attached mm. to it. It's really cool. Um, R-Type, he has an R-Type board. If anyone knows anything about R-Type, they are very rare boards. I have an R-Type board as well. I have sound issues on mine, so that was a bit of an issue on the day because I brought my board to test in his machine. It didn't work at all. Very strange. Um, well, Nelly is Mark's fifth pinball machine he mm-hmm. owns. I think he owns five. He has some really cool sci-fi ones too that some yeah. of them weren't working. I really wanted to play with like um, Queen Robot or something. I can't remember the name, but they were really cool looking. Yeah, this is Mark needs to fix Mark's pinball yeah. machines. So if you're listening, Mark, and Mark does listen. Does um, he listen? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well, we should start listening, Mark. Mm. We haven't been. Yeah, well, he won't hear this. To <laughs> That's <say> true. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, he needs to fix the, the pinball machine. But Wellanelli, I think, was the worst pinball machine. And the reason why he chose it is because it's not very rule-intensive. Yeah. Um, so anyone can step up to the machine, make a couple of good shots, and you're potentially going to get a high score yep. rather than knowing, all right, you have to hit this track three yeah, times yeah. to get, you know. It was really hard, though. Like, as far yeah. as pinball, because I played the Walking Dead one that he had there, and it's, like, a quite a new yeah. machine, yeah. But it was, like... You know, you get rewarded really easily, so mm. you hit a ball a certain way and you get really yeah. rewarded. Whereas this one, I felt like it was like a slog, like it was hard mm. work. You know, the lights weren't as satisfying, like everything about it was totally not really enticing. Um, and Mark's thoughts of choosing a machine which he thought everyone else would go potentially better at than him, he still came first at that. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's... Um, I guess the machines you have in your own house, I would expect people to be better at, though. Haha, <laughs> well, I beat him. I beat him with R-Type. Oh, you, uh, but you you would play that since you're a kid. That's one of your like, yeah, favorite games. Yeah, that is one of my favorite games. Um, but I also beat him with Super Tarakan. I've never played it before, um, but I've played a lot of running gun games like that. Was that the uh, one with the little rope? Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good game. Um, the star of the show, though, uh, Cannibalt. <laughs> we played it on an SX-64. So an SX-64 is a portable Commodore 64 with a little tiny itty-bitty um crt tv which was it almost about... looks like an old camera like an old school projector that's yeah, what it looked like to me it did yeah. but it's a little tiny like three and a half inch screen um and i my eyesight's not very good so. no <laughs> so you know um, when you you like you show old people like a book or something and then they kind of take their glasses off they squint their heads and they bring it right up close yeah, to their face I, and then I, they pull back if they think that maybe that a bit of distance will give them yeah, the sort of i do that yeah often. ben did that but with the game so he's like he's like interesting on the screen mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Old uh, man <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it, but it's a fun game, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a great it's game. A, it's basically and... you know the game on. Um, is it the Google load screen where you're the dinosaur and you've got to jump over like while mm. you're waiting for the screen, the offline screen, you have to jump over cactuses and things. Yes, yes, it was like thing. a version yeah. of that. Yeah, really. so it's a run and jump game, um, or a um, I forget that they're called something. Those running games, um, it's sort of like um, Flappy Bird. Yeah, you know, just single button game um, where you're running right 
and you have to then jump over um, buildings and make your daring escape. And it's on the Commodore 64. It's a new game, so it was developed for the Commodore 64. There's life hacks which you can do to the game, so which is hitting certain elements to slow down. Um, however, there's this. What is that big? bomb thing i like thought a, they were aliens but i think tom uh, thought they were like tra- like transporters or like some sort of technological like tower yeah phone towers or and it just blows up everything and then you, your game's over as soon as you hit that yeah yeah but um, they, they sort of drop down mm. uh randomly and then there's the small rooms you because you think you've got to keep jumping over everything but after a certain time you realize that sometimes you have to just not jump i, mean, I don't know it's yeah. hard yeah, it's yeah. a really hard game but it was really fun it, yeah yeah i think it was really really fun it was addictive <laughs> Very addictive. Very, very addictive. Um, so, yeah, that was quite fun. Um, and that's what we did. We ate some pizza. Mark hosted it. Yeah, great. it was really it was great. There's lots of vegan options. They did. They were really nice, Fiona and Mark, to mm. cater for Tom and I. Yeah. 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 So that was really good. Um, John does the you know the bookkeeping and getting together. So, you know, he does an actual bit of wrangling of getting people together there. Yeah. So. It's very good that John's taken the, the time to do that. The next one is going to be on at the end of September at John's house. So that's going to be interesting mm. um, to play there to see what, what choices he... Got? Yeah. John and I, um, uh, it is no secret that we don't share the same like in video games. Mm. So we often joke about how bad he like or how the games he like are really bad. Um, arguably, they are pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, we'll have so, to see. <laughs> we'll see what he chooses oh, I'm, I'm interested to see because he likes the mega cd so he likes a lot of those games where um you know the really old cgi video so just be like little video clips in the, the game and then you have to press right or left at a certain point and okay um, i don't know yet what you're talking about but i'll have to check it out so there's early cd technology that and they would film real life events really and then put that into oh my god the like those weird videos when you're trying to learn how to drive and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. like simulating yeah 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 those, those sort of things yeah yeah, yeah. so that's this is what they thought the possible future of gaming is yeah. but there's only you know a certain amount of things you can do in that space but john really enjoys them because i think he likes the immersive storyline and, mm-hmm. and stuff um and elements to that uh whereas if they're not very good, like, gameplay-wise, and that's what I play games for, so we're liking yeah. games for, for a different, different reason. Um, but, yeah, he he thinks that, yeah, those CDI games... I think he's got a Laserdisc um, player as well. Do I don't know what that is. They're really big. Like, they were, when they thought, okay, we need to put more media on discs, mm. instead of saying, you know, doing multi-layered discs, because they couldn't develop that at the time, or DVD technology wasn't around... They just made bigger discs. So the laser discs actually um, be quite large. Um, nice. So he's got some actually. pretty niche co- like game collectible things. Yeah, yeah, he does have um, some stuff. And then he's got Seeker stuff as well. So I think that's going to be cool to see yeah. his, his choice of games. Definitely. Mm. And it's fun because I'm not super into any of the games, but it's been fun anyway because yeah. it's nice like when you hang out with a big group of people to have things to do yeah. instead of just having to always have conversations. Yeah, and there was <laughs> things going on. Um, at Mark's place in two rooms and people going in between yeah. and changing the, you know, conversation. Yeah, lots of snacks. Lots of snacks. Yeah. Um, vegan chocolates, which, you know, could break your jaws. Yeah, they're like vegan Those strawberries, yeah. like ch- dark chocolate coated strawberries, yeah. dark chocolate coated coffee beans, mm. dark chocolate coated macadamias. I was in like chocolate heaven. Yeah. And then there was also jalapeno poppers, which has been a star of every meat. <laughs> really? So far. Yeah. I should have brought something. I'm going to bring something next time, like mm. bake something. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. What else have you been up to? 
Um, we, so Jodie and I went furniture shopping on the weekends to look at, you know. Did you go to Ikea? No, 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 no. Hate went, Ikea. Yeah, Black Do you always, I always have like an existential crisis when I'm in Ikea. There's just something yeah. about feeling lost and knowing where the exit is but not be able to go straight there. Well, they've got the... <laughs> you have to loop around. Yeah, but they've got the, the passageways now. <laughs> Do they? So, yeah, as long as you know that you're aiming for the right way, you can go through the walls. But, like, I mean, like, it. you can't find things easily. Like, you know, no, you, you can't, can't go find something near somewhere else. It's always, like... Yeah, you have to go really through the convoluted. snake thing and you have to go see the kitchen stuff. Yeah, and, you have to and then you have to go there. find the boxes again and put yeah. them in your trolley. The and whole experience. You take a photo of the thing and then it says it's in the aisle, yeah. this, whatever it is, and then you get to that aisle and it's moved. Yeah, but, like, don't get me wrong. I like – it's not like I hate shopping. I just really hate shopping at Ikea. I don't know why. Yeah. And it's all, like, like lots of, uh, like, bright lights. It's, like, aesthetically I find it a really horrifying mm. experience. <laughs> horrifying <laughs> yeah. experience. Um, yeah, so that – was interesting. I didn't go to Ikea. We went to um, Blackson Road in Campbelltown, mm-hmm. so there's lots of furniture shops there. Um, yeah. So it was quite cool. We went to look for um, Isaiah's nightlight has died. Like yeah. his Thomas nightlight has the expired. I'm glad he gave priority straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three years of, of life and it sort of died. So um, I don't know what we're going to do about that. Mm. We went light shopping too, actually, but a little bit earlier in the week. Remember Tom doing his home home electrics? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So I get a message on Wednesday night, Thursday night, uh, and Tara says, can I give you a call quick? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then you send me a picture, and it's of cables coming from your roof, (laughs) and you're updating the light, and you... So what used to be there was a long bar, fluorescent, fluorescent bar, yes. bar light. And when it died, we're like, we're not going to put another bar light up there. So what we first tried to do is put down lights because mm. we have down lights everywhere else. So Tom uh, bored holes in the ceiling. And then we realized there's only about an inch of space between the suspended ceiling and the... Because, you know, we all had popcorn vermiculite ceiling before. Mm. Mm. So there, was only, there wasn't enough space for down lights. So then you had to uh-huh. plug the holes back in. And then we decided to get a light for the middle. And then, yeah, yeah, all the wiring was really kind of confusing and he couldn't quite work it out and he got electrocuted. And then, like, we'd turn the lights off at the switch, but the lights would stay on and start flickering. So you sent me a message saying the lights are are, are strobing (laughs) um, and it won't go off if you turn it off. I'm like, okay, that's bad because you've grounded the power (laughs) to the wrong side of the light. So I was tech supporting, and I'm not an electrician, but... Um, I understand how simple circuits work yeah. and positive and negative charges and hooking up um, like grounding wires and such. Um, so we were tech supporting from distance as to what the holes <laughs> meant at the bottom of the light that I yeah. had never seen before. And but it got, ended up being the there. loop, actually the loop light. Like the yeah, loop was actually yes. important because what would happen is then when we put, where he put the loop meant that all the lights along the hallway all went out. Yes. And then so he had to do something else, the loop, and then it would work. Correct. So it's yeah. all... Yeah. So the, the loop light is so that you get the next light in the loop chain. Yeah, but you wouldn't have thought it, that it would affect the other lights that you hadn't kind of hooked up. It was really bizarre. I felt like like something like supernatural happened. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so what, what was happening? I don't know. Technical people. <laughs> um, Tara and Tom were closing the circuit on the first light on the daisy chain, and then it wasn't actually going any further to the lights. Yes. And, yeah. Or it was ghosts. I'm going to just, well, <laughs> I know it's about 50-50, I'm going to go with ghosts because it was too complicated for me to understand, but the, but the highlight is we have a light now Yes, that works, yeah. and, and Tom only got electrocuted the one time. Could That's we have just paid the money to uh, get it done for yes. the electrician, like I suggested initially, and not have all that stress and anguish? Yes. Hmm. Did we do that? No. <laughs> That's totally okay. Um, yes. 
So that's what you've also been doing. Yeah, um, you painted... Painted some doors. Very so... exciting. We had a very domestic weekend, <laughs> so I painted some so doors. this was on Saturday. All day you were painting. Most of the day. Right. <laughs> I painted some doors. I vacuumed. I mopped the floor. I mm. put a load of washing on. Um, so much domestic stuff. Um, what else did we do? It was really boring. Okay. Went to the gym. Okay. Yeah. It's good. And then we cleaned all day Sunday as well. Because my mom's coming mm. to stay and I wanted the house to be tidy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, that's cool. Uh, semester one has started. So for you, I... not for me. Yeah, I don't understand that. Well, three universities that I teach at all have different calendars for when mm -hmm. they're breaking and starting, and it's just crazy. So for you, it's next week. For me, um, I had uh, three classes yesterday um, at ACU, and they're all pretty good. Yep. So they're pretty loud. Um, How many in each class? 20. 20? Yeah. 25. Yeah. Did you plug our podcast? <laughs> no. Maybe I should. Yeah, if you want to um, find like a really good podcast. Like... <laughs> <laughs> One of the students Googled me. Did they? Yeah, during the How would you feel about that? Um, What's your Google record like? I got a couple of notifications yesterday saying that people have looked up my... Oh, do you have it like set in so you know who's Googling you? No, no, through the academia. Oh, yeah. I get that all the time mm. and it's like different Tara Smiths. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, because my name's pretty common. So they're like, mm. Tara Smith just did this. I'm like, it's me. Like, uh, <laughs> I haven't yeah. done that. So. This is people, it sometimes comes up and says that someone found you on Google and clicked on your profile. Mm. So, it's, yeah. And my name's, like, not as common. As, That's true. Mm. Is it Croatian, your name? Have we told people that in joke? I don't think so. No, so, okay, Tetris Championship last year, there was someone that was watching... And during one of the call-outs, they said, oh, yeah, it's Pen Banasic up next. And then she, and it was, like, really quiet. It went quiet in the bar. It's one of those yeah. moments <laughs> in a public space where everything just goes really soft and quiet. And she goes, oh, my God, are you Croatian? <laughs> and then we've been and making. everyone's <laughs> laughed. And it was yeah. very, and I'm. Nah, Didn't on. they call you Ben Banaski as well? Ben Wasn't that the start of the Ben Banaski jokes? Um... So Ben Banasic? Pretty sure it was. I think she mispronounced it. No, I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's right. And so we've been referring to it ever since that yeah, day. Yeah, I get occasional pictures of the Croatian flags <laughs> for me from Tom, which yeah. is nice. Um, but you're not Croatian, are you? No, no. no I'm not Croatian. Um, yeah, so I don't know how we got onto that. <laughs> the game, I don't know, I think we're being funny. Um, yeah, Newcastle is tomorrow, so I'm driving oh, yeah. up there. And that's where you're teaching, right? Lecturing, yes. Lecturing. Mm. Are you excited? Yeah. How big's your class? We don't know. Ooh, okay. It's one of those online, offline class oh, classes. Okay. So... But you don't know how many people enrolled? Oh, uh, no, I do. It's about 50-odd. Okay, but yeah. not everyone shows up to classes. That'd no. be saying. Yeah, there's yeah. like 10, maybe 15 people mm -hmm. turn up to the lecture. So it's more of a seminar base yeah. thing that I try and run because you can't really run a lecture with just 15 people in the room, and I don't think that mm. you sort of can. But it's not really engaging, I think, for those people. Yeah. Because um, so. there's no tutor. Like, it's not like traditional, like, two hours lecture, one hour tutors no. combined, right? Yeah. 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 So I run activities um, as well mm -hmm. as part of the... So usually I'll lecture for a good hour and 20 hour, hour and 30 minutes. And then we do a quick activity for 10, 15 yeah. minutes. Um, that takes me to a total two hours. I meant to have and this is a religion and philosophy breaks. class, right? Yeah. Yeah, religious yeah. thought. Whereas the other one is, mm. what do Christians think? What do Christians believe? Oh, what do Christians believe? Mm, a lot. Yeah. Turns out. 
Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, AC is doing that. They're following the creed, which is pretty interesting. Mm. So Emmanuel's made the decision. So, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. you know, I believe one father. So it starts off with God creation and then, you know, so going through the canons of the church by actually following the links of the creed. It's mm-hmm. a good way, actually, at Jesus. organizing a course yeah. structure because where do you start, like, yeah, totally. 2,000 years' worth of history and then quick summary for students in the room who are not necessarily from a Christian background. Yeah. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, and you have to talk about the conflicts as well in modern Christian belief, and yeah. some Christians believe one thing and not another. So yeah. um, going by the creed, you can actually touch on those differences um, yeah. quite well. Manuel's a very smart dude. Mm. And you got mm. a new laptop. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. It looks like the other one, but it's... bit the bullet. I did yeah. that on Sunday. Yeah, it does look like the other one. So it's a MacBook Pro. Um, it does this. Look at this. All right. I'm just looking at the thing. Oh, it mm. has like a bar on it that is like interactive, like in the actual yeah. keypad. And now look, if I open up Word, look at that. Oh, so that's almost it's like a screen. A screen within it's a, it's a the bar, keypad. Which is a screen. Do you yeah. know what the technical term of that is? A screen key. Pad. Is that what it's called? No, I don't, no, know. Really. <laughs> I don't know. That's very high tech, though. Um, yeah, it is. It's kind of annoying because when you touch on it, it like things pop up all the time, like this. Yeah. So when I'm typing, I have to be careful not to. So it's a bit jam. too high tech. Hmm. Hmm. Or you're getting used to it still. I'm getting used to it. Yeah, and yeah. it's got bigger speakers. Um, and yeah, it's it's good. It works really, really well. Yeah. Tara's just written down red. I don't know. The microphone decibels keep going to the red. Oh, to Do you the think red. it matters? No, I don't think so. Maybe we'll just move this back a little bit. See? I think it'll be all right. See? Goes to zero. Are you talking either too loud or too soft? Um, the we maximum. Gonna... So you don't you don't want to, like, See? scream. Yeah. What so. is that? Oh, anyway. No, no, okay. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's okay. fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. So that's what's been happening. Uh, we had a shout-out. Um, we had a couple of shout-outs, actually. Did we? Yeah. Oh, so we're doing feedback? Yeah, yeah. Feedback. Yeah. Feedback. Feedback. So um, the feedback we got from Carol, uh, our supervisor who we met with today, um, and it's always really good to have her back. Um, we've missed her. She said that um, we put the undeniable appeal of Lovecraft intelligently, which is very nice of her mm-hmm. to say. Um, and bringing up the, you know, distasteful aspects of it quite well. Yeah, with racism um, yeah. caveat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my passion for Journey is truly touching, which is very nice um, for her to say. We also have a Discord channel. Yay. So we mm. not only do we have Facebook, or not only do we have a Facebook group. <laughs> I've run out of no, things. No, page. We have a Facebook page. <laughs> we have a Facebook page. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, we Are have we on Twitter? Twitter. Yeah, we're both on Twitter. Oh yeah, well, they will individually, but we yeah. don't have. Yeah, but so we have that. But mm. we now have a Discord chat, so that if you maybe wanted to interact with us but you didn't know how to reach us, mm. you can now go on the Discord chat, and we'd love to get some recommendations or some feedback because apparently we have about what a hundred. Uh, we've had a, quite a few listeners that no. I don't think we know. Yeah, and I don't know. It's not just my mom, guys. So no, that's good. No, unless your mom's downloading it on <laughs> like, twenty or thirty different devices all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Um. But we've we've got uh, like the the 
um, Game of System podcast guys all joined. Mark's joined, which is really good to see. Uh, someone called Aussie 1982. I don't know who that is. No, we don't know who that is. Please tell us who you yeah. are. And that's and it's only a couple of hours old, so we've got like seven people on there. Yeah, but please great. come chat with us. I am mm. new to Discord. I'm a Discord noob. I signed up today. Today, yeah. Yep. So mm. if you don't know much about it, it's sort of like I guess a way to chat on forums i guess kind of like individual i have no idea yeah yeah it's like a live forum basis um and i've put a couple of text channels there for just general chat episode suggestions which has already had some suggestions which is good to see Um, mostly from mark yeah i actually like this suggestion flash crowd by larry Larry niven have you ever read anything by larry niven Mm -mm. oh really no Mm. well that might be in next week and another in the future podcast Mm. yeah so yeah, that's uh, and exciting. And then there's also a chat about the current episode as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, come say hello. Uh, we like feedback. feedback yeah, and good. we'll put the link to the Discord chat on the uh, Anchor page, right? Yes, it yeah. will be attached to every single um, uh, episode that we do, but yeah. it will also be attached to the main, main section. Um, yeah, so that will be up, which is really, really good. Uh, and that is. Oh it. wait, I wanted a, we wanted an update on the card a box of oh, four cards. That's right. Yes, yeah, I said it was going to be an update, and you said no, no, it's been done. Well, there's been an update on the update. There has been an update on the update. Um, what happened last time? So last time I, you found, found the, box. the box. Yeah, and the you were going to call that guy that night and tell him the guy that's been coming up like a lost little like is it he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah all but like three of the boxes of cards are gone. So what, is, what does that mean? He bought like 15. Oh, I thought you meant they were missing. I was like, no, that's no, a twist. No, okay. no, no. So in a week, like, yeah, 15 boxes of cards yep. are gone. So I thought, oh, yeah, this will keep us going for a while, like 18 boxes <laughs> of cards. No. Yeah. No, they're all... Is this the update? Yeah, yeah. Is that it? It actually it got to the shop. It's fine. Like, oh, okay. Star Trek actually did their job. But that day that we were meant to get the box delivered, like, re-delivered to us, they again scanned it in incorrectly. So... What, what do you mean? Well, they partially scanned it in at the depot, and there were going to be boxes returned again to Melbourne. They were Did they to, put a new label on the new label that was on the label? They were going to do that, yeah, and so I had be, to call them. It would be like label section where there's yeah, like... Yeah, so I, I needed to call them again and tell them, no, you need to deliver this, or wow. I'm going to... Have you written a complaint? Screw you, like, sue you guys, not screw you guys. Sue you guys. <laughs> oh, that just um, got a bit no, kinky. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, no, I... I I was very angry about it because... Have yeah. you made a complaint to the manager? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Not much you can do. No. That's so shit, though. No. How so, incompetent. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, if you guys are listening, Star Trek, not the yeah. game yeah. or not, the show. Not Next or, Generation. Not Next Generation. Not Picard or Kirk <laughs> or but the, everyone else. The, what are they? Delivery company? Yeah. Delivery company. Then yeah. pick up your game. They need to pick up <laughs> their shit. They're absolutely shit house. So, yeah. um, so that's the box update that the cards are gone. The cards, yeah. Well, the cards were going to go missing, but then the cards. Oh yeah, but no, I mean they're gone as in they're selling like. And they have sold, like yeah, by the produce of this. uh, By tomorrow, I'm expecting them all to be gone now. Yeah, which is just crazy. Yeah, how many did you? How many boxes of cards did you have? Eighteen. Eighteen, and how many cards are in a box? I don't know. Roughly. Think there's ten. 
No. Are they tiny? You know how they've got those tiny little thin cards? No, no, no. This is booster boxes. So this is like um, 36 packs generally or 24 packs. Oh, so they're the boxes box. almost you'd grab and then put on the shelf and people and could get people, individual, individual ones. So they packs. want the whole box. Okay, Correct. that's pretty yeah, yeah. pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not just a little bit. It's I thought they were like, you know, the little sleeves with just three or four, like mm. five cards in it? Yeah, no, okay. no. This is yeah, a few hundred um, cards. So people are eating them up. They are. They they enjoy the basketball cards um, yeah. and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and yeah. all the other cards. Cards are going crazy at the moment. I don't know. People are returning to cards, which yeah. is kind of cool. Nice. All right. I so like cards. Um, should we do a little – I thought we could maybe play a little bit of, um, before we lead in, play a little bit of the um, theme tune from Boy's Dog, the film. Sing the theme tune. Sing the theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> Write the theme tune. So we're just going to – if we can find it, uh, we're going to play that. Right now. A boy and his dog can go walking. A boy and his dog sometimes talk to each other. A boy and a dog can be happy sitting out in the woods on a log. But a dog knows his boy can go wrong. Okay, and that was the theme song to the film, A Boy and His Dog. And now I'm going to start off by giving a bit of uh, background on Harlan Ellison. But before I do that, this is the point, guys. If you are worried about maybe some sensitive topics, would be the way to, the time to stop listening because hmm. it's going to get pretty taboo. <laughs> pretty taboo? Yep. So yeah. <clears throat> moving ahead. So... Harlan Ellison uh, is a writer, so he was born 1934, died in 2018. Uh, he's known for his new wave speculative fiction, which was a 60s and 70s movement, which was characterized by experimentation in both form and content. Uh, he's described, uh, so Robert Bloch, who's the author of uh, Psycho, described him as the only living organism I know whose natural habitat is hot water, which I think nicely sums up Ellison as an individual. He has over 1,700 published works. He wrote an episode of Star Trek, uh, The City on the Edge of Forever. Um, what? Yeah, he did an episode of Star Trek. Didn't know that? The City on the Edge of Forever? Original Star Trek, yeah? Yep, pretty sure. I think that's the one with the guy that is a bit of a... I can't really remember. There Maybe you you, Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, and he's known for Boy and His Dog and I Have No Mouth and I Scream, some of his more famous ones. He was born to a Jewish family in Cleveland and he often ran away from home and at 18 he was a tuna fisherman, crop picker, hired gun, cab driver, uh, book salesman, etc., etc. He attended Ohio uh, State University for 18 months and then was expelled for hitting his professor who didn't like his writing. And to pay him back for the next 20 years, every time he'd get something published, he'll send it in the mail to that professor that didn't believe in his writing. <laughs> um, he served in the US Army for a period. Um, he, this is another quite funny story. Um, he was hired to be a writer for Walt Disney, but got fired when he was heard overheard um, wanting to make a porno with Disney characters. Wow. Uh, he was married five times, uh, each relationship only lasting a few years. And one of his, I think his first relationship, he described as four years of hell as sustained as the wine of a generator. Mm. Um, he once sent 213 bricks to a publisher, post is due, followed by a dead gopher. And he was constantly trying to sue people. Uh, and this is just another nice little quote, I think. This is how he describes his own work. 
My work is a four square for chaos. I spend my life personally and my work professionally uh, keeping the soup boiling. Gadfly is what they call you when you no longer... Uh, when you're no longer a danger. I much prefer troublemaker, malcontent, desperado. Uh, my stories go out from here and raise hell. He also said that uh, a critic of his said that he only wrote that to shock and he smiled and said precisely. So I think those sort of quotes really sum up Ellison as a character. Um, he is a troll. He is a troll. He is purposely trying to push people's buttons. Um, he's, he's naturally in hot water. Like this is sort of him as a person. So now that I've talked a little bit about Ellison. I'll just do a really quick summary of the story. Sure. Yep, and then we can have a discussion. So the story centers around Vic, who is a 15-year-old uh, boy, and he was born in scavengers in a wasteland in southern or western United States. He has no parents or any education, and his uh, companion is a telepathic dog named Blood. And they have a, sort of a mutual symbiotic relationship where Vic helps Blood eat so he can open cans and that sort of stuff. And Blood teaches Vic how to read, his history, etc., and how to smell and track down women to rape as well. Uh, they steal for a living and uh, at a movie house full of women named Quilla June Holmes into an abandoned YMCA, a teenage girl from Down Under, which is a society in an underground vault. And before Bit can have his way with her, a rover pack, which is like a gang, um, attack them so that they hide in a boiler. They have sex a lot of times. Um, and then Quilla June uh, attacks him, knocks him out, and leaves her security card for him to find. He finds a security card, and then he goes on an adventure down under to try and get revenge. And down under is sort of a surreal uh, mockery of suburban sort of 1950s um, uh, rural innocence. And soon Vic realizes that Quilla was uh, trapped to lure him down so he can procreate as the population is becoming sterile. So he decides to escape and misses his freedom. And then uh, Quilla decides to come and Quilla seduces her father so Vic can kill him and they escape with her shooting her mom in the head on the way out. And once they at the surface, uh, should we do the ending bit now or should we wait? Because <laughs> it's a pretty... Big ending. No, 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 okay. Yeah, and then the ending, um, so basically Blood, I should, sorry, I missed this part out. Blood, when when uh, Vic had gone down under, had waited by the door. And when he comes out, Blood's sort of starving and really hungry. Mm. And basically, uh, they Vic decides he has a choice. He can either, so they can't go back into the city because the rover pack that attacked them knows where they are. So he has a choice. He, can, he can't go in and forage. And he can either leave with Quilla and leave blood there, or he decides to cut, kill Quilla and um, feed him to blood so blood can have nourishment and they can leave together. Hmm. Yep. So that is the very bleak world of Boy and His Dog. Yes. <laughs> so, um, the Taras had some apprehension as to what I would think about the story. Um, because you asked me what I, I thought about it, and I, I didn't answer <laughs> whether I liked it or I didn't. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll go on the positive first. I like the world that Harlan has painted, and I yep. can see that there are very strong influences that follow forth from this. So this has been written in, what, 1969? That's correct. All right, so just four or five years later, you have um, Planet of the Apes, mm -hmm. um, and this element of um, two very smart dogs then, you know, being the first of, of giving thought or giving uh, language to other later dogs um, is, is touched upon very early in the story. Um, 
However, uh, yeah, and, and I like the elements that um, you said that Fallout has been influenced quite mm -hmm. a lot um, uh, from uh, Marlon's uh, world that he's portraying in this story. And, and I can see that. There is this post-apocalyptic world that he's trying to portray. This is at the height of the Cold War, so there is a, a definite fear in the US that um, you would have some sort of nuclear um, uh, fallout or nuclear war and people will then be living in some sort of world where you can't grow things or you know people need to go to underground yeah. to actually grow things uh, there are other post-apocalyptic worlds which I don't think are written as well um, once when the war ban began for example I, I'm not a fan of, yeah, no, you're not yeah, a fan. <laughs> I, I do not like that book yeah. at all because of the blatant racism of um, uh, towards Chinese, Japanese yeah. people. Um, in this book, um, or in this short story rather, there is some racism. So there is um, references to, you know, smell of chink, for example. Um, so I, yeah. I, I don't like that element. But what I found personally most difficult is is the element of um, rape. And not that I, I want to avoid reading something like that in a mm -hmm. short story because that is a real world thing that happens yeah. and i think that we like in a podcast like this we are touching on taboo topics so we shouldn't be afraid of talking about these sort of things mm -hmm. i just found there are some elements of the story of of the um his companion the, the woman who is just unbelievable um now i don't mean that there are elements of this story that should always be believable. It's about a freaking, you know, talking dog. Yeah, right. Like it's, um, yeah. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, he he's he's sleeping. He's he's raped her, and then he says, "Okay, she's enjoyed it," and that's that's his thoughts of it. Um, yeah. He then, they then go underground, and then she decides to leave with him. Yeah. And kill the parents. And I, I just don't think that there are... There's just a part of the story that's missing. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite getting it. So what... And we mentioned this briefly last night when um, we were speaking. I think... What I think has happened here is that Harlan has decided what the ending is. You know, mm. the gotcha moment of, uh, you know, the boy loves his dog. Yeah. And the story is named this for this reason. I think that the whole premise of the story and everything that happens from the first, you know, um, stanza to the last is pushing towards that end. Yeah. And Where he, he ultimately chooses blood over Quill. Yeah. And how do we get to this point and how will we have a mm. number of twists and turns. And there are some good twists and turns, you mm. know, when... Um, he gets knocked out in the boiler um, and wakes up and finds the ID and you know decides what to do at that point. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty interesting. Why the dog can't go underground? That's. I think he's too uh, sort of. He decides that he doesn't want to. He doesn't support um, Vic going down there because he says you'll just get killed because they don't normally like having people from the upground coming down. Oh, so he just refuses. Yeah, and they because they have that big debate before they go down. He's like, mm. you're losing your mind. Like, because there's a sort of throughout blood access the conscious and like the the rational. Yeah, blood's the smart one. Yeah. yeah, blood's the the well. In saying that, blood sort of pushes um, Vic to do the raping and you know find the woman and i think it's it. out of necessity otherwise he can't eat so blood can't open the cans so they've, they've really mm. formed like a companionship to try and survive in this 
kind of horrendous society. And mm. and um, what I find interesting is is you don't realize like fully, but he's only fifteen, so he's yeah. had no parents. He's been raised basically by a dog in a society where resources are super scarce. There's very few women, and the women that are around are either raped or they're so masculine that. You know, because there's, a, I think, at the um, film house, there's like a description of a woman that's like super tough and like you wouldn't have your like she has knives and stuff. So there's not actually many women at all um, on the top, and they just and they explain that is that they a lot of women died uh, like during the sort of um, fall of civilization. Uh, so so what is also interesting is that there was a graphic novel where the story kind of continued. So there, was, oh. yeah. So I wrote okay. a bit about it. Um, yeah, so there's a graphic novel uh, called Vic and Blood by Richard Corbin. But before I mention that, so basically the film came out in 1975 and it was directed by LK, LLQ Jones. Mm. And it was um, accused of being more misogynist than the original story. And even Ellison condemned it. He said, uh, well, I'd say the uh, certainly had... Oh, no, so this is the weird ending. So in Boyne's Dog and the Story, it ends with um, him saying, I don't really know. Uh, Quilla, uh, is it Quilla Jane or Quilla June? Keeps saying, do you know what love is? Do you know what love is? And it's mm. sort of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And the sort of like big ending is like, I know what love is. Love is between a boy and his dog. And that's the final line. But in the movie, the line is while while um, the blood is eating her, she says, well, I'd say that uh, she certainly had... Um, uh, I can't even read my uh, marvelous judgment, Albert. If not particularly good taste, so that's the final ending of the film. Yeah. As so, it's sort of like a pun, like oh, she has particularly good taste as he's eating her. Mm. So this is um, this was the line. And so Ellison said that it was a moronic, hateful, chauvinistic uh, last line. So he actually really hated it. And then so because he sort of um, hated the movie so much, it sort of spurred him on to write this graphic novel with the, uh, an illustrator called Richard um, Corbin. And uh, so basically Vic has all these guilt hallucinations about what he did to Quilla um, and eventually gets killed by a giant spider and blood is left to fend for himself. And so Ellison said he did this with two reasons. One, he was angry with the way that uh, LQ Jones ended the film and also to finish off a story because people kept asking him, like, what's going to happen with blood and what's going to happen mm-hmm. with Boy's dog? So he's sort of, to me, he's, he's tried to, he's seen that it, the book can be interpreted a certain way. He saw the film adaption spin it even further that direction mm. with this kind of corny line being like oh she had really good taste ha 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 mm. and has tried to sort of have a bit of guilt and, and try and flesh that out so i think like it might not come fully across but i don't think ellison wanted this to be like a super misogynistic text whether it is or not is another question but i don't think he intended it to be yeah no look i not sure i i think he's He's trying to mask certain things in the book and he's trying to portray the... Um, it's not a hero. He, the Vic is not a hero in the book and he's he's not... Um, but the, he's the star. Yeah. He's trying to portray him to say do certain things. But they um, he drops lines in there and this is not said by Vic, but this is just one line. You know, she was one come up after all. She was um, one what? Come up. C-U-M-U-P. Yeah. But that's the, it's all narrated from um, his but, perspective, even if it's not spoken. But this is not. This is, this is like internal thought, so it's not actually voiced by the author. It's not even voiced by the character. This is just within the paragraph structure. So I think 
he's... But he doesn't normally write like this in his other stories. No. This is a no, narrative device yeah, to make it, it sound like it's absolutely. in that period. I, in, in, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it's trying to, to portray it as to the period. Mm. Um, and I, I just think that it's... There's a lot of problems with how... Um, the world is being portrayed, which I I, I can't see. I, mean, I I just can't seem to see past that. What I do know. you mean? Okay, so you've got a war that's happened. Yeah. Within the last generation. Yeah. And then you have all of these kids living on the surface. Some yeah. groups, some individually, with talking dogs. Yeah, in big gangs that have big gangs. have monopolies over certain areas. Mm-hmm. And they're finding women. And raping them. Yeah. Uh, at some point, if there is no men, or, if there is no women around, and there is just men all, and this is what happens in part of the book. Yeah. They're all going to a movie theater and all masturbating at the same time. Um, you know, there is no women around at all. Yeah. Society is not going to keep procreating. Yeah, like no, I think that's the point. Yeah, right. I so think he purposely has two societies that have ultimate dead ends. So mm-hmm. the, he's not saying that the top is better and the bottom is worse. He's saying these are two alternate tracks that we could be on, which both have a terrible outcome. Mm-hmm. So think about it, like because you sort of really think, well, maybe he's saying that the the top world's better than the bottom world, but they can't procreate. They've, there's no food. They're in gangs, and each gang owns certain uh, areas of the place. Like, um, yeah, he's stupid. He can't. He had to breed and learn everything from a dog, which mm. is normally which is a complete reversal of beast and human. Yeah. So I don't think he's saying that you know he, this is the hero and this is this isn't you know this. I don't think he's saying that at all. I think he's saying this is what happened if our masculine and like boys, let's be boys, kind of thing, kind of Lord of the um, Lord of Flies taken to like its animalistic most bestial bestial form so i think that's what that represents mm. and then what the bottom represents is what is the most like trim and bourgeois kind of most suburban nightmare you could think of that's dull it can't move anywhere sort of like 1930s america where we all have like paved lawns and there's like a quote in there that's um i don't know if i wrote it down somewhere which she just describes how boring it is um, oh that's yeah uh, where is that? Oh, here we go. Um, okay, they rocked in the rockers on the front porches. They raked their lawns. They hung around the gas station. They stuck pennies in gumball machines. They painted white stripes down the middle of the road. They sold newspapers on the corners. They listened to compa bands on a shell in the park. They played hopscotch and pussy in the corner. They polished fire engines. They sat on benches reading. They washed windows and pruned bushes. They tipped their hats to ladies. They collected milk bottles and wire carrying racks. They groomed horses and threw sticks for their dogs to retrieve. They drove into the communal swimming pool. They chalked vegetable prices on a slate outside the grove. They walked hand in hand. So this is like a completely boring, boring civilization that's Mm. so sterile that they can't actually breed anymore. So on the top, you have babies being born that are neither male or female. They're genderless, like mutated creatures. And then on the bottom, you have a a sterility that's stripped from... They keep breeding women and they can't really produce any men. And it's sort of like that's sort of what's happened. So neither of them are, are progressing. Yeah, okay. So in that scenario, you then have um, the protagonist of the story coming across a woman and then he, like, he, he rapes her. Yeah. Um, and then says that 
she's he she is happy i could tell um yeah, which is solely disillusional, right? This is the whole point. He's so di- dis, uh, disillusioned with his, his she, fantasy. Do you know what I mean? Like, but she does. She does then like it. Like, this is the, the unbelievable thing about the whole I don't story. think we fully know what Quilla was thinking because, I mean, she came up to the top with a mission to to bring him back down. That was always the goal. So mm-hmm. I think you don't really understand there's, her there's, perspective. But there are elements which are shown. So... She says, um, you know, they're having a, a discussion after um, he has... And, and, and she's never had sex before because he says that there, there's blood. Mm. Um, and then uh, they're sleeping together a number of times. And he says something and she says, oh, that's very crude. And he says, I'm very crude. And she says, well, not all the time. Like, there's, yeah. I don't, there's I think... this flirtation almost that comes out of that experience mm. and they become in this relationship and then they become a partnership because they're conspiring to escape together. Yeah. The twist is that really the protagonist has a better alignment or a um, feels that he, he um, has more in common with the dog than her. Yeah. And that's the twist and, yeah. and that I get. I, I just think that um, it, it, it's an unnecessary plot twist. Uh, it, no, the, the plot twist is not unnecessary. I get that. It is unnecessary components to the story, and it's put in there, I think, for what Ellison is like as a character and a person. And this is what I think is actually good about us talking about this story, following on from last week, because we spoke about uh, Lovecraft and about his racism Mm. and whether you can rescue stories from having these elements inside them or not. Um, Now, with... Lovecraft, he purposely went out in his life and he's writing racist things um, for that period of time. Ellison is a lot later. Um, But Ellison admits that he acts to shock. Um, There was that story that we found where he he said that he he knows someone that could, you know, knock someone off and kill someone else in a panel. Um, And he's done that to to shock, obviously, the panel and everyone. And he was called out on it. I think that he's made that as part of this story. You know, he's he's shown that his trolly nature, if if I put mm. it in, in you know that modern term, he's actually portraying that in the story, and I'm I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's what's blocking me from saying that this is a wonderful story or you know an amazing story. Mm. Um, because I think that it does have the elements there. I just think that you there can't are... look past the. Yeah, yeah. That there's just some, ne- and like I said at the beginning, I don't think it's not the act. Um, I don't think that there should be anything that shouldn't be written about. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're going to talk about uh, taboo topics, like market Sard or something like that, where um, the the levels of sexual extremity are actually explored on the page, and that's for a context. Yeah. Um, I I understand that why that's written for that period of time, and I get that. This part of it seems unnecessary in this story because it's breaking away from what I think is the the, the gems of the story, yeah. if you like. Um, I know what you're saying. I think that I don't think he intended this story to be particularly misogynistic, other than being a, a plot. I think he uses a literary device. He, he puts in a lot of uh, sort of hatred towards women and this sort of transactional relationship and all these sort of themes on purpose to sort of say, look how brutal and horrifying the top world is. It is not much better than... But 
in saying that, I don't think she's a very fleshed out character in any no. sense of the word. Um, I think she has, she sort of does things without any sort of interest. And I mm. don't think that he, Ellison writes particularly um, interesting female characters at all. Oh, so, really? no. Um, I just, I've only read a few stories, but I don't think, he's been in four or five different marriages. I don't think he fully understands women. I think that comes yeah. across in the story. Actually, yeah, he said that in that interview, didn't he? Like, yeah. he's been with his wife for, I was 30 odd years or something, but it's his... No, no, four years. He's never been in a relationship with women for four years. He's had five, I think he's been married five times, and each relationship really lasted a few years. Really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's something different. Yeah. Sure. Um. So... What I'm trying to say is that I think the story has merit mm. and I think that he's purposely kind of amped up all those sort of misogyny levels to try and create um, two alternate uh, realities of, of where our future could go if the world was destroyed. And he's critiquing them both. Mm. But on top of that, his own sort of probably um, inability to fully understand women and to write well-fleshed-out characters has snuck in there. And whether he's doing whether he's doing it to mask those things or not, I'm not sure. I don't think he's intentionally doing that. I think he had good intentions for this novel, and I think it's a good uh, sorry for novella. I think it's a good yeah. story, but I agree with you that the women that that Quilla is completely uh, void of any real. You have not. You don't really have any empathy for her. No. Which is I think how it's supposed to be written, which is sad because mm. she is also a victim. They're both victims in a way mm. of circumstance, and she is much more of a victim because she's not only raped, she's been asked by her parents. So she, she's a teenager as well. We don't know exact the age. I think she's about 15 as well. She's been told to go on the surface, lure a man in so that the society can procreate. And mm. there's the implication she wasn't supposed to necessarily have sex with him on the top, but she decided to anyway, which wasn't meant to happen. Mm. So... There's all those elements happening at the same time. I guess for me, the value of the story um, comes from these sort of um, weird parallels that he draws. So kind of like um, the fact that, you know, the man is being taught by the dog. And, and actually, I think the hero of the story is blood over anybody else because mm. he's intelligent. Um, he doesn't think with his sexual organs. He is, you know, he's funny. He's witty. He's sort of like, and that's what when Ellison talks about it, he says that that he wrote this story for his dog, Abu. So he had a dog. And mm. so he sort of wrote this to sort of, um, I think, put up the relationship between a man and his dog and or a boy and his dog and that and how important that connection can be and it's a shame that it, it has also evolved maybe um diminishing the importance of a relationship between a man and a woman at the same time yes yeah i, yeah, can see I that. agree with you yeah i agree with you um and there are other ways that we now know in the contemporary contemporary society to betray those sort of relationships so yeah. if you look at uh, you know, Wilfred, the yeah. um, uh, you know, Australian show, which has then changed into a movie. Um, uh, so Wilfred is a fallen creature. Um, his intention is to hang around the home and he wants his owner to hang around as well <laughs> and smoke weed with him or drink beer mm -hmm. um, and just be in the space of hanging out and, and being yeah. So that fallen nature, I think, is, is really well portrayed, but it's not at the cost of um, the other character, or the, you know, yeah. the, the woman that's that's around occasionally, or women you know, yeah. throughout the series. Um, but yeah, I can see the influence. Um, it's just that, that one thing that, that comes up over and over again. And, and she does, she, she becomes smitten with him later in the story as well, you know, she constantly asks, "Do you love me?" And she's, you know, making that that choice in life. And yeah. I think that that's that's a big jump from, 
you know, uh, just five or six pages prior, I get it's novella, so it's very short, and you have to move mm. on with these sort of things really fast. Uh, sorry, not five or six, it's about yeah, 15 pages earlier. She's being raped, and then um, on 2.43, she's asking, you know, Vic, do you love me? I kept saying yes, not because I meant it. It just kept her climbing. Yeah. So she is not a likable character in any sense of the word, and it's mm. a shame. And I think it reflects that he, he can't write wound particularly well, especially in this story. Mm. Um you know, and I understand that that's like a difficult part to read, um, but I think the story has so much more to offer in its alternate realities and alternate worlds and the kind of commentary he makes on both the sort of um, tea party, suburban sort of nightmare, as well as this kind of wild west gone really wrong. Because, you know, yeah. they watch those western films and it's like he's reliving those. So I think that to me that, that that kind of society paralleled and also the sort of unexpected ending where he does choose a companionship and a friendship with the dog over this relationship which you mm. wouldn't expect because he gets you know he'd have more sex with her and blah 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 but he's actually choosing yeah i companion. like i like that flip i yeah. like the flip and it's that. super unexpected and so yeah. you know one of the critiques is also this down under is that it was created by christians as well and i think that that's interesting so the quote <laughs> yeah. goes People who settled them were squares of the worst kind, Southern Baptists, fundamentalists, law and order goofs, real middle class squares with no taste for the wildlife. They didn't want any progress, any uh, dissent. The best time in the world had been just before the first war. Uh, and so, yeah, so he's sort of uh, really critiquing, I think, that kind of um, kind of old school American um, um, society and just saying that they're sort of sterile and sitting in their ways and in the movie the way that they depict them is like they've all got painted faces and stuff like that and it's all like really creepy like painted as in like um, with like rouge and white like kind of white right. face like kind of yeah, like yeah. almost like old lords of England with the little wigs and stuff like really um, interesting. So like the first um, the first settlers. Yeah the, pretty the, much like and basically it's kind of ironic too is that you've got two societies obsessed with sex really you've got the top that's obsessed with finding women and raping them and the bottom obsessed with finding men to bring them down to to breathe them so mm. that they can continue there and i think in that sense he's sort of saying that we're both both are bestial in their own way and both mm. are, um aren't very um highly evolved and so and you kind of left not knowing which one to, is better and then mm. the, what's the sort of redeeming factor is the friendship between him and the dog which represents to me civilization is everything that a society and humanity should be uh. so that's kind of how i think it's kind of interesting um what else did i think there's also a big parallel with um H.G. Wells, The Time Traveller. So yeah. in that you have uh, the time traveller going um, into the future and meeting two different societies, the Aloy and the um, Morlocks. Mm. Uh, the Morlocks are sort of meant to represent the lower class that live underground. Um, they're very, they cannibalise and harvest the Aloy, which are like considered the upper class, like mm. if that was left to be. And they're like kind of infantile little babies that they basically get, have to hide during the nighttime or the Morlocks will eat them. And so mm. you've got these two sort of um, upper lower class. And I think that's kind of reflected a little bit in uh, this story as well, because you have sort of the rough, that kind of like, um, you know, uh, country like um, rural living, very um, brutish top level, and you have kind mm. of soft, pedophilic, 
because uh, there's a pedophile notion as well with yeah. the um, father wanting to seek, se- secretly sexually desire his daughter. That's how they kind of lure <laughs> him in to escape. And so you have also like this um, interesting kind of c- comparison between the two sort of endings. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about the ending, eating Quilla? That was kind of uh, kind of interesting. I yeah yeah the the visceral thing of the dog actually being so withdrawn and you know <laughs> waiting around and not finding it. Yeah, it was really sad. Yeah. And um, then but then poor Quilla sort of has to make the ultimate sacrifice mm. on on like without any choice in the matter. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's left, like, speechless right until the end, really. Um, yeah. So, do you think... Uh, we, we spoke about this with Lovecraft, that there are elements of a story which can be um, rescued, I guess, from mm. the author. Is that the case with Ellison? I think it's a good story. I actually think it's very easy to read. I like all the slang. I think it means that you're immersed, like, within the first page completely for a short story basically or a novella it brings you in you're you're pretty much it's to me it was quite a page turner like wanting to know what happens and having such an um interesting character that's a dog and and so he's sort of like i feel like he looks at two uh doubles so he has above ground below ground limitless limited freedom entrapment rape sterility man dog smart dumb danger safe all these sort of um little things that he's playing around with you know with what you'd expect and i think that's quite interesting so i actually think it's a really good story that that sort of looks at how inhumane people can be and how um kind of fucked up humanity will be and so ellison and a lot of his tropes all he wants to do by being this person that's sort of trying to push people's buttons is to get society and humanity to to go above and do a bit more and push harder and not be complacent and i think that's what he's trying to say he's saying don't be super sterile and not moving and don't be completely give way to your animalistic urges Mm. and rape people and do all this crazy stuff don't do either instead maybe find some solace in friendship or companionship and to me that's sort of what the story is saying it's a shame it's at the expense of no interesting female characters at all Mm. but i just think he probably finds it difficult to humanize women because he's maybe in his personal life i don't know it doesn't have a lot of don't really know Mm. well i think uh we've spoken about this we'll we'll, we'll, we will revisit ellison later yeah um with another story in another week but i think the the falling character of uh, the woman and the unbelievable aspect of of that um scene and then moving on like saying that that uh, someone is going to enjoy it after um um, the initial sexual act, um, and then you know being smitten at that point is just completely unbelievable. Um, yeah. So for that, I think um, like it is a major failing point of, yeah. of the story, and it's ruined the story. Um, but it's intentional that he's so disillusioned that he thinks that she's enjoying it. Like when he describes when Vic describes, I think raping another woman, he says that he chained her up and that he'd visit her, revisit her, and he said something. He says something like. Oh, I knew she really liked it, even though she spat in my face. So yeah. I think that the intention is to to show how um, but she, uh, how how um, what am I saying? Trying to say that he's so disillusioned with his own. He's watching. He's growing up on these Western films where you know men are like take what they need. They're kind yeah. of like swaggered in, and they take women. As, so to me, it's sort of intentionally. It's meant to make you feel like that. Like it's what she, Ellison implied. Her her actual quotes back shows that she is having some sort of enjoyment 
Yeah, I think yeah. it's difficult to know. Like, I mean, she's a victim of circumstances as well. She's mm. objectified by her own parents as well. So I think that it's like it's difficult to sort of read it as just being purely um, that all these kind of flaws in the novel are not intentional. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. Like, where do you draw the line between a, a, a plot device intentionally meant to be read from the perspective of a misogynist character and saying that that means that, that Ellison was completely misogynist in this instance? I'm saying he's oh, a little bit misogynist okay. outside, yeah, but like, yeah. where no, do you draw the line? When you've got the actual quote from the other character given in that point. So but it's I, still I, from his perspective, do you know what I mean? Like, if you, we don't really know what, I mean, like, she might say that she loves him, but she's, I mean, she, if you look from her perspective, she doesn't know, uh, like, we don't know her backstory, but I don't think that is, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Mm. But she said, so I, I, I don't mind. I liked doing it. Want to do it again. Yeah. It's... I think that, as I said before, I don't think she's very fleshed out, but I no, do. No, she's not. And, and that's what I think the failing point yeah. for me is. That, and that's, that's the key. That's it. Yeah. Um, and because of that not being fleshed out and that non-engagement of her, mm -hmm. there's just these blatant choices to be made to push towards that end of the story and that gotcha moment. Yeah. And I think that they could have been more skillfully done. Yeah, okay, um, I agree with you on that. Uh, Ellison's he's a prolific writer. He knows what he's doing. And I think that either he was lazy in this point or he's made some assumptions as to what would be felt in that experience, which is pretty bad if he thinks that thought that that was the case yeah either way it's not good for him yeah. you know ellison's it, it's not in it in, um, yeah good and and because of that i i've had i had difficulties with it yeah um but i do think that there are some redeemable elements to the story for mm -hmm. sure um and i like i said to you i like the twists um, yeah. i like there's a, there's a number of twists through the story and it's quite short um yeah, but there's just that, that one major element. Yeah, that comes no, up. I know what you're saying. I guess I'm trying to explain that I think that he's intentionally made even those moments where aren't directly from Vic that the whole story reads as quite being misogynistic. An aspect of it is intentional to make you feel like this is his sort of um, society. This is mm. the sort of um, perspective he has. Not necessarily to to do that, but in saying that, he could have made her have some sort of reasons behind the things she does. You mm. have no understanding of why she decides to go with him. It's sort of that big backflip suddenly yeah. why she you know, could have been some revelation or... at the end of exactly. her not liking the father or something yeah. that you know and i think his um, graphic novel where he has all these guilt-ridden visions is probably a way to try and find some sort of redemption yeah. in, in that portrayal yeah. I, and um i'll leave on a quote of ellison's quote on the story so um People seem blissfully unaware of history and what happens after a decimating war in which food, weapons, shelter and women become valuable chattel. I show my real attitude towards the matters by making Vic little more than a beast, while blood represents culture, wit, intellect, savvy and civilization at its best. Hmm. So that to me is him saying that he's done this partially intentionally to be to represent this and that, that this is what could happen in the future where when you know because people have i think people idolize this end of the world and you have preppers and all this sort of stuff getting mm. weapons and things like that but there is no doubt that for i think for certain people and partic particularly women and children it would not be 
a fantasy where this is going to be would be a good thing. I don't think humanity would necessarily protect men and women. I think that a lot of it would resort to stealing, raping, pillaging. I mean, you look at any sort of stories in history, and this is the sort of thing that happens. Sure. Sure. If you get, take away people's um, food and shelter, people become savage. Oh, yeah, that's a, a very old saying. You know, a civilization is only three ways away from revolution. Yeah. Because, you know, food, water, last three days. Right, um, so this yeah. isn't going to be some, uh, like, Western or, like, some kind of idolized state where we're all working together as a community to survive in this shitty situation. Yeah. I think it would be people taking things off other people. I don't think it would be uh, no, positive. So no, I think totally. that's what he's trying yeah, to say. And I, I agree with you. I, yeah. And in that regard, yeah, absolutely. And in the post-apocalyptic world, I think it is good to portray it in that regard. Um, Have you read um, On the Road by, is it John McCormack? Oh, I thought you were going to say Jack Kerouac, but oh. no, that's... Oh, wait, The Road, it's called. The Road. Yeah. Uh... It's a futuristic novel. Anyway, in one mm. scene, they cook and eat a baby. Like, this is like society at its most depraved. And yeah. I think that's what he's trying to show. Yeah. But I understand that in saying all that, I think, yeah, she could be better fleshed out. But his own mm. quote is saying that he doesn't want history to repeat itself. Um, he doesn't think people should become just uh, shadow, like food and women shouldn't become. So he's trying to uh, make Vic represent the beast and blood represent civilization. Mm. I think mm. there's that aspect, and that's kind of why I like the story. Mm. Okay. Um, do we want to uh, give a rating? Yeah, um, out of cans of dog food, Yeah. you think? Yeah, and the dog on Fallout's called Dog Meat. Really? So these are kind of inspired, and they have people that live underground and stuff like that. Yeah, so I think a yeah, little bit of Fallout. Fallout. I've never played it, but this is apparently the. I've played inspired. a little bit of Fallout, and I haven't played it extensively. I said to you yeah, that I, I really am not comfortable about you know comparing the two, but the apocalyptic scenes of it, yeah, I think it is. But yeah. there is a lot of apocalyptic literature that comes from the fifties, yeah, sure, sixties. He so. didn't invent it. No, 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 no. Um, but it's a very vivid world that he's portraying. Yeah. All right. So out of... Um, dog food cans. Dog food cans. Um, I... So I think there are redeemable factors to the story. Yeah. Have I tried... Have I swayed you at all? My persuasiveness? <laughs> A little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was wondering whether I should just refuse writing because it's like I can't get past that point. But I think that it deserves a rating because of the redeemable factors of it. But I think, um, uh, you know, I've said it at length, the, the aspect of the woman not being fleshed out, that mm -hmm. character not being fleshed out, um, the understanding of uh, how Vic acts and feels at certain times as well, mm -hmm. I think could be expanded further. I wanted to hear more from the dog. Yeah, um, definitely. As well. Like, I, when I started reading it, I was envisaging Wilfred, you know, yeah. hanging out. And I know that he's, he's a, a dude in a dog suit, but, mm. you know, that's sort of, you know, how can you imagine a dog really talking? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that there are redeemable factors. Um, it's going to be harsh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so maybe four out of ten yeah. um, cans of dog food, and it's because of that character. If that character was further fleshed out or if there was only a couple of lines that said that she came from an abusive household or something like that yeah. and it would have actually then gone oh okay i make that makes sense now yeah you're looking at eight or nine yeah it's, um, it was a real it really really soured the rigs yeah yeah and because it it came up and it was a major point in the story yeah. i think that's what what my issue with it is um 
but in saying that the redeemable factors of the the flips in the narrative and the world that's being portrayed i i actually really enjoy those elements no no i totally respect that and i i think that the novel would i mean the novella would have been more interesting if she had had a backstory and Mm. she had learned why she was doing things a certain way and it's difficult to tell where all the sort of how the author has you know impacted the story in the way of the misogyny like where does it sort of his ideas and the book's ideas and and the perspective of the character who's misogynistic where do they all how do they mm. all interact mm. and and where, what's leading what is quite difficult to untangle but to me you know the reason i like it so much is that it's sort of choosing friendship and companionship with i mean with uh someone well friendship really between him and his dog they're not going to have sex together like do you know what i mean it's mm. completely a friendship that they, that he chose that after and the loyalty of the dog mm-hmm. and having the long time they've spent together that was more important to him than what he could get for the quick gratification in the relationship he had with quilla it's unfortunate that's at the expense of her like i do mm. think that but i think that factor teamed with this sort of um, very dark look at society with two different paralleling extremes mm. Is really quite captivating and what i like so much about the story is you know i love dogs so to me it was like yeah. it's a character that was just superhuman and and sort of loving and and all these sort of positive qualities which you wouldn't expect necessarily from a dog you normally expect those qualities to be human i mean you do sure. but you know what i mean so to me i'm going to give it eight out of ten mm-hmm. i would have given it ten out of ten if quilla had been more fleshed out i agree with you completely on that Cool. Um, and what are we going to do next week? Oh, next week. And it's not as intense next week, we promise. No, no. Next week uh, we are going to go uh, to an alien world, which features two aliens, but that alien world is actually Earth. Um, so <laughs> this is Jam and Earl, um, and we are going to talk about um, the first game, the most recent game, which is also called Jam and Earl, um, and probably the second game as well. Um, it is designed by Greg Johnson. Um, so it was a game that originally came out for the Mega Drive. Um, it also has had a more recent re-release. Um, it is a multiplayer game, so you can play together with people or you can play on your own. Um, and I am very much enjoying uh, you know, playing it with my family. Um, and I hope that you enjoy it too. Great. Well, tune Possibly in. not. We'll see. <laughs> tune in next week and we will... Uh, and please like... Please join us in our Discord chat yeah. or contact us via Twitter, email... Twitter and Facebook. And the Facebook group. Mm. Um, the Discord chat, as we said at the beginning of the episode, that it is going off. Um, yeah. yeah. We're going to try and struggle actually to keep up with it. I oh, think, you think it, so? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's gone viral. It, well, yeah. There's people that talk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, iTunes reviews obviously help, along with all of the other podcast things where you can listen to us on. Yep. Rate us. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And have a nice week, everyone. We'll tune in next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.